Hey folks, let's spend some time with friends up north. Pat Kreitlow of Up North News is on Lake Wissota. Sarah Yacoub of the Minocqua Brewing Company Super Pack is on the Mississippi River. And up on Lake Minocqua is Kirk Bangstead of the Minocqua Brewing Company. Wherever you are, welcome. You're up north. Hello and welcome to the Up North Podcast. I'm Kirk Bankstead from the Minocqua Brewing Company. I'm Sarah Yacoub. And uh, on the show this week, I'm Pat Kreitlow, the rural economy, the rural voter, and why everyone in the state should pay attention to their issues. Rural voters were once Democratic stalwarts. Uh, then Republicans figured out they couldn't win on economic or policy issues, so they went all in on culture wars, and it's been working. Even as they've been voting to impoverish rural America, ruin the schools, turn the roads back to dirt, and so on. So we're going to talk to Darren Von Ruden of the Wisconsin Farmers Union and Kelly Westland, the longtime Northern representative for Senator Tammy Baldwin, until last week when she announced her candidacy for state Senate in the 25th District, the seat Janet Bewley is retiring from and held prior to that by Bob Junk. So, Pat, I'm glad we're doing this show tonight because, uh, you know, all of us have been in rural parts of Wisconsin. The whole podcast is about up up north podcasts. We're outside of Madison and Milwaukee. And it just galls me that, you know, it seems like the Democrats aren't, you know, making a lot of headway up in our neck of the woods. And I tell me what you think. But I think it's because. The Republicans have really focused on rural areas of Wisconsin, and the Democrats seem to never have enough money to be able to like focus uh, other places that aren't the suburbs of, of the big cities. What do you think? Well, I think we've all experienced that, and I, I, I'm going to pivot to Sarah right away because I, I, her experiences might be the same as mine uh, in a couple of different ways. One, there are too many people that think you know the rural areas of Wisconsin and America are lost forever. We have had... Uh, we have seen Democratic Party leadership at the state and at the national level who always just want to look for one more vote inside city limits rather than talk to 10 people outside of them. And I mean literally outside of them, just on the other side of the border. They won't knock doors over there. Um, and so, Sarah, I wonder if you don't see that same kind of division on the western edge of the state. You know, um the narrative wars are very interesting. So we had a candidate who was a former firefighter who knocked literally every single door, put in the effort and, and still lost. And that, and, you know, we had Patty Shackner who was incredible and still lost. And she was a moderate uh, who did a lot of really good work for the community. And what I can tell is the Republicans have gotten very good at exploiting the good nature of their base. So people around here, you know, are living their lives. They're not immersed in politics. They don't get a steady supply of balanced news. And if you're only hearing your stuff from Fox News, you're getting a real twisted sense of what life is like. And you don't want to believe that the politician who you want to like or who you voted for is lying to you. And so it seems like this formula that just keeps on giving for them uh, as they accuse Democrats of what they themselves are doing. It, you, it is a, how do I put this? There's a, a degree of because Democrats in urban areas have, uh, have, have embraced diversity, you know, tolerance, openness, that has been portrayed by too many as some kind of a zero-sum game. Like, you know, suddenly respecting the rights of one group means my rights are going to be taken away. And we talked about that last week uh, with Marathon County. And simply being able to acknowledge that diversity and openness is a good thing. And instead, uh, 
Kirk, I remember one of Hubert Humphrey's great sayings is compromise is not a dirty word. And boy, has that been proven wrong over these, what, past decades. Yeah, I mean, uh, the, that, 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 that hatred uh, of things that are not exactly as, you know, ha what happened when you grew up 20 years ago. None of us grew up with anybody other than white people in, in northern Wisconsin. It's just kind of what it was. So, so that weirdness is somehow bad and it's been exploited. Yeah, well, because sometimes the, the worst of another group is used with a broad brush to portray them all. When we come back, Kelly Wesson's going to tell us more about that on representing a progressive like Tammy Baldwin up north for the last eight years and is now running for state Senate. You're up north. tell you, uh, having married into a, a dairy farm family, I grabbed the chicks for this one for its themes about rural life and how it isn't uh, what it used to be. And sometimes a strong woman has just got to do her own thing. And that's uh, going to be part of this segment. Well said, Pat. Welcome back, everyone, to the Up North podcast. And welcome to a segment we will call Strange Coincidences. Once upon a time, our own Pat Kreitlow was a state senator here in Wisconsin, then a candidate for Congress. In fact, the Republicans were so afraid of him that they gerrymandered the 7th Congressional District to protect Sean Duffy, quite possibly one of the biggest hacks in politics, from Pat <laughs> back in the day. After that, Pat became the first Northern representative for newly elected Senator Tammy Baldwin. And when he left that post, it was taken over by none other than Kelly Westland, who also ran for Congress in the 7th District and is now running for state Senate in the 25th Senate District. So you can see the, the problem with this comparison is self-evident. Everything that I've done, <laughs> Kelly is doing as a way cooler person. It's the Ginger Rogers thing. She's doing it backwards and in heels, more badass, and hopefully turns that into representing Northern Wisconsin in the legislature for the 25th. It is so good to see you, my friend. It's been way too long. How are you? Agreed. I'm good. And, and, and thank you for all of that, Pat. I'm, uh, I, I'm really excited to be on the campaign trail again and following in your footsteps, even if it's not quite in the same order. But uh, yeah, so far, so good. Um, it's only been a, like a little over a week and a half since I made the announcement, but um, it, it feels really good to be back on the trail. That's for sure. Thanks for having all right. me. All right, so Kelly, we're we're going to talk about your campaign in a second, but uh, I wanted to actually talk about the last what eight? How long has it been since you've been Tammy's representative? Seven years. Seven years. Seven years. So the last yeah. seven years, uh, you know, obviously you're you're in the Ashland area generally. Um, you know, I'm more up north, more Manaqua, Sarah's and or you know, Sarah's and Hudson. So you know, it's you're a little bit more blue where you are than we are, but you're representing all of northern Wisconsin on Tammy's behalf. And and so I know it can't be easy because for a lot of people in North Woods and rural areas, they somehow think be before they've even met Tammy, that somehow she's a negative force in their lives, you know, some big city Madison politician. And so uh, from hearing Pat talk about it, though, it's like it's also a cool job because once you actually start talking to these people and 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 you tell them how Tammy is on their side versus how Ron Johnson is not on their side, um, that you can kind of like change a lot of minds. So I kind of wanted to talk about your last seven years, and you know, if if that's kind of at all true of what I just kind of said. 
Sorry, you're breaking up a little bit, but that's that's Wi-Fi in the Northwoods. I was going to say that's Wi-Fi in the Northwoods, but uh, yeah, I lost but it, you guys. Yep. Well, we we still got you here, right Kelly. So yeah, we're be just, back. Yep. We're, we're just going to keep okay. yapping and and uh, lead into you talking about what my experience as well. How cool it is representing Tammy up north. You know, um, I am so grateful to have had that opportunity. You really get to understand the the just diverse kinds of people across this huge area. So um, while I live up in Ashland, my office was down in Eau Claire. So I was, you know, commuting back and forth and oftentimes working, you know, out of my car or the Wi-Fi hotspot and a laptop and, um, you know, going to where the people are. And you're right that there are a lot of folks who have this um, idea that Tammy is, you know, this lefty Madison liberal, whatever, but when they meet her, the first thing that people comment on is that she is like a genuinely nice person. She's delightful to be around. Um, and then the issues that she looks for, especially, you know, when she was a member of um, the minority in the Senate, you, you can't get a lot done unless you're working, um, you know, on, on issues that have bipartisan support. So she was proactive about um, reaching out to folks in agriculture, folks in the timber industry, working with the ports, uh, making sure that she was doing things that could support working families and rural communities. And um, I mean, it was really gratifying to kind of see that change from constituents in this corner of the world. Um, I just want to check in and make sure you guys can still hear me with the oh, connection yeah. here. Nope, <laughs> you're we're good. we're okay. doing fine. Although you're, you're giving us a great campaign ad for more bipartisanship uh, to get infrastructure spending done. Yes. But, uh, Sarah, you've got our next question here. Yeah. So, Kelly, we, we know the job of representing Senator Baldwin up north is definitely driven by public service more than partisan politics, uh, contrary to, you know, what it what we hear uh, in media and social media. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, after all, you're on the official side and not necessarily the campaign side. Uh, so if you would sort of give our listeners a sense of what it looks like when the rubber actually hits the road. Um, you know, I imagine you've had more than a few moments where the progressives who live up north, and let's be honest, there are still quite a few progressives around here, uh, and they have to be so happy to talk to you about how Tammy is able to provide public service to everyone while also being true and unabashed about her values. Yeah, I mean, there are, you know, there are all stripes. I'll put it that way. There are some folks who um, want her to be the champion of, you know, all things left that they care about. And there are other folks that also understand that, you know, context matters. And she's not just representing the people that voted for her. She's going to represent all of the constituents in the state of Wisconsin. Um, But, you know, the hardest part about that at times was that people would see me on, you know, uh, government business and want to talk to me about campaign stuff. And I'll tell you, she's also a person who has ethics. So I would have to kind of stop and say, I'm sorry, I can't talk to you about that at this you know, event while I'm wearing my Senate you know, hat or uh, in my Senate office or whatever. Uh, but generally, once you explain it to folks, they're pretty supportive. Um, although, you know, you definitely get calls related to things that they've seen on the campaign trail that you have to kind of be like, listen, this is not, <laughs> not my wheelhouse. Sorry, I can't answer your, answer your questions about the next fundraiser so, or whatever. So, so let, let me jump in on that. Like, there has been a number of occasions where I've called your campaign office and I was like, Kelly Westland's got to talk about this on the show because like it's PFAS or it's, or it's like the Schwamagon. It's like the, the, the mining. And I'm like, why can't Kelly talk about this? And they're like, because we play by the rules and we're, a, we, we actually keep this campaign separate from the business 
of helping people in Wisconsin. So it's true. Yeah. You haven't been available to us until you've been a candidate. Unfortunately. <laughs> Sorry, Kurt. Uh, today was actually the first time, like since before I went to work for Tammy, that I was able to contribute to her campaign. And it wasn't very much, but it was exciting to be able to do it, you know, um, because we play by the rules. And I'll tell you, when I see my counterparts on the other side of the aisle, oftentimes they are people who um, work for the federal government, who also hold positions within the state GOP, uh, who also might have local elected office, whereas all of those things were considered conflicts for us. So, I mean, oh, yeah. while I mean, at times it felt limiting, but, you know. The, the, the term double dipping uh, doesn't get used nearly <laughs> enough to describe uh, what what we see going on there. Um, Kelly, let's switch over to the decision to run for state Senate. Uh, Janet Bewley uh, put in uh, many admirable years in the district. Uh, you're you're, you're uh, stepping up for that. Um, tell us about the factors that led you to say that this this would be the time with, with Janet stepping back for you to step up. Sure. Um, well, you know, it's something that I've wanted to do is to run for public office again. I mean, as hard as 2014 was, I think it was a really worthwhile endeavor. I, I met a lot of incredible people and had the chance to experience a lot of really cool things. Um, but there are also times when working in that government role, you, I would see a lot of the very real needs, very real concerns that people had throughout Northwestern Wisconsin. And oftentimes it was stuff that we'd have to refer to our state counterparts for resolution. And especially, you know, in certain um, assembly districts, you know, Janet's been a fantastic representative in the Senate, but we didn't have, uh, we have at least one third of that Senate district that was represented by Republicans um, that they're, they're just, they, I can't understand how they can justify the choices they make and say that they're representing rural communities. Um, especially when you consider things like the declining shared revenues and the levy limits and the lack of investment in, you know, the very basic things um, like ambulance service that is mandated by state statute, but is not funded for rural communities. And you want someone to show up when you dial 911. <laughs> I yeah, do. You know? it, it, it does. It, it comes right to me. Let's talk about the district for a second, because there's been so much talk about uh, the, the gerrymandering that was done, the new maps that were put in place that we really haven't mm -hmm. looked at it district by district. I know that um, somebody else uh, came up with this, not me, but they said, you know, it's going to be interesting to see the maps of the future yeah. continue. The northern districts will continue to get bigger and slide mm -hmm. down because they have to account for the population growth in the Madison area and in the Milwaukee suburbs. So they, the districts themselves and the, the 25th is no different. It's, it's kind of done this, you know, slide over the years. What yeah. have there, were there substantial changes uh, with this new map compared to the current lines? So it wasn't super substantial and it was more substantial in 2011 as uh, you know, you well know, uh, <laughs> yeah. but yeah. Uh, it's been horseshoe shaped since then. Mm -hmm. yep. So um, the day that I had announced in the morning, it was all or part of 13 counties um, it was, you know, several of them had like a township here and there. And um, by the evening of my announcement day, it was down to nine counties in all our part. So um, I, at least now I've got all of Burnett, but it cut out everything in Polk County, St. Craig County, Dunn County. It uh, completely removed the lack of flambeau reservation from the district. So um, I guess it kind of consolidated it, although um, I'm, I'm still confident that this is a winnable district for Democrats, that's for sure. For folks that are listening elsewhere around the state, yes, it's it's a it's something uh, you know people might not know if they don't look at the maps carefully. They know that there's this big blue area, you know, around yeah. Milwaukee, a big blue area around Madison, um, but they don't understand that there's there is quite the sliver from Superior in, into Ashland Bayfield that has 
carried that region for quite a while. But I I know, Kelly, people are asking, is that going to be enough now um, in in the Senate district, in in the district that the assembly district that Nick Milroy is retiring from and and such? And Mm -hmm. you, you sounds like you still have an optimistic view of that. Yeah, well, I can tell you, we've been on doors already. Um, We've been out canvassing to collect nomination signatures. And um, first, the people that are in the deepest, like reddest parts of this district, when I knock on their doors, they're just glad that somebody is talking to them six months out, even in what is perceived to be unfriendly territory. And um, I think so far, that's getting me a lot of credit. And tomorrow, I'll be doing the same canvassing down in Barron County and knocking on doors where people haven't shown up in I don't know, 10 years longer, who knows, uh, rural communities where they're still listed as, you know, undecided or, or something else where we don't have any information. Um, and the biggest thing hearing from folks here, you know, they're over some of the extreme partisanship. They don't feel like their voices are being heard. And so when somebody shows up and asks them what they think and is willing to listen, that that does count for a lot. And then, of course, it's going to come down to turnout. Um, as you know, you know, Governor Evers is up for election. We've got a statewide Senate race. There are some things on the ticket that are a big deal. And then, of course, you know, if we lose one seat in the Senate, then Republicans will have a supermajority in that House. And that's also going to be a problem. So there are a lot of reasons for Democrats to show up. Mm-hmm. What advice do you have uh, for our listeners and for us here on the show to help inspire people to get out and vote? I mean, Republicans seem to have this outrage machine dialed mm-hmm. in and there's always that red button topic and it sometimes is often made up issues, it seems. How do we get people to believe that their vote matters and to get out and vote? Sure. I mean, like, I feel like if I had the, the perfect answer to that, then, <laughs> um, you know, that would solve a lot of problems. But um, all we can do is explain to them that, you know, this is this is their government and this is the say that they have. And we're never going to change, you know, these horrendous gerrymandered maps. We're never going to make a difference that benefits their every day unless they take the time to show up and get their neighbors to show up and, um, you know, just help them find the ways to make it workable to be a voter. I know that it's not convenient and that the folks in, in uh, the Republican majority are always putting more and more, you know, hurdles in the way. But um, we've just got to keep showing up. Uh, that, that's all there is to it. And the thing is, we can't just take that for granted because there are plenty of other people who are being disenfranchised um, that would normally be supportive of Democrats and good policy that helps communities like ours. So um, if we don't show up, then, you know, it's more than just us that are going to suffer. We have only been talking about the Kelly Westland from 2012 onward. Uh, so uh, pardon, our, <laughs> pardon our manners. Um, tell folks a little bit more about, you know, what your, your story before you got to that point. What were you doing? What got you involved in you know, public <laughs> service in the first place? You know, sure. what, what, where, where are you from? What's your sign? What, you know, whatever you want to tell folks. Uh, <laughs> well, I'm a Gemini. Um, but uh, yeah, so I'm a military brat, grew up uh, in a few different places. Uh, my dad was Air Force. My mom worked for the DOD, loading missiles onto submarines, that kind of thing. And that's where she met my stepdad in Charleston. He's in the Navy. Um, so we moved around a bit. I've lived in a lot of places, mostly South Carolina, Texas, Utah, and um, ended up in Ashland, actually, to go to Northland College. I had a really great environmental studies teacher in high school who was from Wisconsin, and he pointed me in the direction of Northland, which is a a private school that specializes in environmental uh, sorts of aspect of all things they teach. And um, after I got my degree there, I stayed here and got a really great job working for a nonprofit that was doing, um, we kind of always thought of it as like local food energy economy, you know, keeping, you know, supporting local businesses, 
uh, implementing renewable energy, helping grow our, our local food system. And I did some more of that work as well um, after the fact when I opened my own small consulting business. Um, married a local boy. And um, that's part of what kept me here. He's a, a carpenter, year-round outdoors person. And um, at the time, I was helping my sister take care of her young children. And so she came up here and eventually my mom wanted to be closer to grandkids. So she came and my brother was like, well, everybody else is there. So he came. So now the whole family is here. Um, and it's been 20 years. Uh, and I don't think that I could leave yet, even if I wanted to. My mom would be furious. So, but it's, it's, it's an easy place to fall in love with. You know, you see that big mm-hmm. lake um, six blocks from here and it, it just sucks you right in. And it, it's made winter something where I've had to find ways to appreciate them more. But after 20 years, I'm there. You, know? you do. You do. You, you, you've done that. And uh, like I said, you've had uh, th- these tremendous experiences uh, politically on your own and then uh, working for Tammy. Uh, you know, uh, Senator Baldwin continues to uh, impress people. You know, every place she goes in that she is she is um, open to learning new things and representing people of all sorts. Uh, so uh, I'm sure you and I both miss that, but you're going to be a fantastic candidate and we really appreciate you taking time to be here. Thank you. Yeah, I'm glad to take some of the lessons learned from, from Senator Baldwin. Um, all right. And yeah, thanks so much for having me, guys. You bet. Darren Von Rudin of the Wisconsin Farmers Union is next. You're up north. Let me die in a big straw stack. I'm gonna live where the green grass grows. Watch my corn pop up in rows. Every night be tucked in close to you. Raise our kids where the good Lord's blessed. Point our rocking chairs towards the west. And plant our dreams where the peaceful river flows. Where the green grass grows. Welcome back to The Cabin. This is the Up North Podcast. I'm Pat Kreitlow along with Kirk Bankstead and Sarah Yakub. It's time to visit with someone who doesn't just understand where the green grass grows, but what kind of leaders we need for rural America and for rural Wisconsin. Our next guest, Darren Von Rudens, served as president of the Wisconsin Farmers Union from 2010 to February of 2022 and continues to serve as vice president and district director. Darren, thanks for joining us this week. Thanks for having me. Okay, so Darren, we talked a little bit yes, uh, yesterday, and I know that you have a wealth of information about uh, what you know farmers in Wisconsin need from uh, their fed- the federal government, uh, from their politicians. So let's start with the farm economy. Um, the pandemic showed us that when too many farms or processors are concentrated together, it means that when the supply chain breaks down, the economy isn't nimble enough to fill in the gaps and what I saw as a restaurant owner back during COVID, food costs went through the roof. Uh, and so, you know, you, you look what, and you also look what happens when you get, you know, huge amounts of workers all in like meat processing plants. And when one gets COVID, the rest of them get COVID. And then all of a sudden you can't get your meat. Uh, same thing goes for Monsanto, right? Like, you know, these guys, huge seed companies have been kind of making the prices go a little higher and a little higher. Uh, and when there's, you know, and so not only does that weigh on inflation, now we got a war in Ukraine where we got, you know, the farms, a lot of the seed, a lot of the food comes from Ukraine. So you've been preaching this for probably years. You know, we got to, we got to deconcentrate 
and agriculture, deconcentrate processing plants. Uh, you're probably saying, I told you so. What, talk, talk to me about what I just said. Am I right or, or how do you see it? Yeah, yeah, we've been talking about it for decades already, really about you know trying to diversify the, the agricultural economy and the agricultural sector. And, and that means more farms, not fewer farms. And of course, just the opposite's been happening. Uh, in Wisconsin here, dairy is the number one egg industry. Uh, back in the mid 80s, we had 44,000 dairy farms in the state of Wisconsin. Um, today, we're a little over 6,900 dairy farms. So, uh, you know, less than a, a third of what we had uh, 35 years ago. And, and looking at, you know, what the pandemic showed. And right now, um, we're really dealing with another issue within the chicken and poultry industries in the upper Midwest uh, with the influ avian influenza in uh, many herds being um, euthanized because they've got the flu bug in, in those herds. So, you know, that's adding to that additional problem of uh, inflation because there isn't animals, there isn't eggs, uh, and just the size of these farms. Um, if we had 10 of those, 10 farms for every one of those big farms, maybe we would just have to get rid of 10% of the birds instead of all the birds within that farm. And certainly the concentration issue is something that we've been trying to um, address and, and uh, bring to the forefront. Uh, currently the Biden administration is doing quite a bit on that front. They've asked the uh, U.S. Attorney General to uh, do some stuff, do things. Uh, let's look at concentration issues. Uh, Let's break up some of these larger monopolies so that we actually have a diverse system of agriculture here in the U.S. So, Darren, um, as I see it, there's sort of two levels to this. One, there's identifying the problem and then two, doing something about it. And as we're getting better about talking about the problem, you know, what would you recommend that we can do about it or what can be put in place or what lessons can be learned uh, so that we don't end up in this place again and dig us out of, the, out of this mess? Well, we certainly have to get the right people in our elected offices. That's a, a big thing. Um, back in the late 2008-2009 era, um, after the uh, the last financial crisis that we had, uh, there was some uh, meetings held throughout the country that did look at concentration. Uh, then all of a sudden we had a, a different election 2010. Uh, the Tea Party uh, made a big stink and got folks in DC and the funding for some of these programs and the ideas disappeared. So now the DOJ had no funds to go out and actually enforce uh, antitrust laws. And, you know, right now um, we're seeing another opportunity again. Um, there is money within the uh, CARES Act and some of the uh, uh, well, the transportation bills, too, that are out there. So, uh, you know, the money is there this time. The question is, will we have enough time to actually make a difference? Right. So we, we, we've got two ways of coming at this. You, we've talked about the monopolies, the near monopolies. To what degree can we can we go after that, whether whether it's breaking up or just having you know better rules or just enforcing the rules that are there? Let's look at it from the other side, and that's incentivizing you know folks on the smaller side. We learned over the pandemic to appreciate that small locally sourced supplies can still play a role if uh, government would simply be more of an advocate for them as they are for the big boys. We saw a big uptick in small local meat processors when all the big meat packing plants went down. We know how popular farmers markets have become. So what are the things as you see it that can provide those incentives for 
homegrown uh, and, and the rural parts of Wisconsin food production? Yeah, certainly that incentivizing is something that uh, has taken place, especially here in Wisconsin, Minnesota. Um, in the meat industries, there's been uh, a lot of dollars put towards uh, building that infrastructure. And then also, you know, the education part of it, uh, looking at our high schoolers and college graduates that uh, don't really know what they want to do, but might want to get into some form of agriculture and um, giving those opportunities uh, through scholarships and and then just uh, remodeling uh, dollars or incentives uh, to make sure that these small, medium-sized plants can build up their capacity to actually meet the local demand. Um, you know, a lot of farmers right now, we're booking out to get our animals um, harvested a year down the road. So looking at April of 2023, before we can even get an animal into a lot of local spots. So we definitely need more uh, local processing whether it's in, in meat or even dairy too, uh, you know, we've gotten so concentrated that, uh, you know, plants are doing one, one item or one specialty and that's all they do. And so when we look at the pandemic, uh, we had to dump milk because we simply couldn't get it put into the processing lines, um, which then in turn, we ended up not having some dairy products on shelves throughout the state of Wisconsin, which just drives me nuts when we have so much of it available here. All right. So, Darren, let's switch gears a little bit. Um, I know we talked a little bit yesterday just so I could kind of get smarter about uh, agriculture in Wisconsin. And uh, you said that a lot of the political stuff that you have to deal with that comes at the federal level, uh, not necessarily at the state level, even though I do want to ask you from a rural standpoint what you're looking for from the Democratic Party to help out. But let's stick to the federal level now. Um, you know, Tammy Baldwin, we just talked to Kelly Westland, you know, a second ago who worked for Tammy. Uh, you know, she's, I don't know, you know, Pat, what is she? She's a sec, she's a, on the agriculture board. She brings home the money to Wisconsin because she's part of the agriculture stuff in, yeah, in Wisconsin, chair, right? She, what, she chairs the Senate Appropriations Subcommittee for Agriculture. She, she almost literally brings home the bacon. <laughs> you know. so so that's her role and then you got a guy like ron johnson who um i think has voted against the agriculture bill every single time you know that it's been put up for a vote because the agriculture bill is is also uh related to uh snap money which is uh you know uh what's that what's that what's the acronym pat uh Supplemental nutrition appropriation. Supplemental nutritional yeah. appropriation. Yeah. So the, the, the a lot of people sneer and call it food stamps, a thing that I grew up with, you know, being raised by, by a single mom. And of, of course, all that does is help give farmers more of a market when families can eat healthier, heaven forbid, Kirk. Yeah. So Ron's voting against ag bill, even though somehow Republicans are winning in, in, in among farmers, uh, the votes among farmers. Um, and then Tammy's bringing home the bacon. Literally, why why is there this disconnect, uh, you think, among farmers and among rural folks about about what's going on at the federal level? Well, certainly uh, misinformation is one thing that's out there that's causing some issues. But uh, just a lack of knowledge of what actually happens um, at the farm bill level uh, and, and where that's at. And certainly Senator Johnson has uh, not been in favor of it because he believes that we're spending way too much money on uh, the nutrition title of the farm bill. Uh, farm bill has uh, 12 different chapters in it, so it's a pretty big bill overall, one of the biggest bills that they uh, look at. Um, 
it's only looked at every five years. So uh, we'll be looking at it here in 2023 again, trying to make some corrections, additions to it. But certainly Senator Baldwin in her position as the uh, appropriations uh, chair has uh, put money not only in Wisconsin, but throughout the country because uh, it isn't specific to one state where those dollars go, but helping small farms, uh, trying to make sure that we can get uh, dollars put available uh, so that new farmers can come into the business too. Uh, and where Senator Johnson has uh, voted no against it, even though um, back in 2012 as part of the Farm Bill debate back then, the USDA did a study and, and realized that of every dollar that's spent on the SNAP program or the nutrition title of the Farm Bill, 14 cents of that comes directly back to farmers. So his votes and he's, he's saying that it's not gonna be good for anybody. So let's stop spending all those dollars. Um, that's taken 14 cents of uh, billions of dollars away from farmers directly. And that's only some of the federal funds. We've been talking a lot about the agriculture end of it. But when you're helping the rural economy, that includes federal money to expand broadband. Uh, that's what you see in the bipartisan infrastructure bill. Um, because you, you, when you say to a, you know, what you, you have to acknowledge, farmers also want good schools for their kids. You know, farmers also want, you know, uh, uh, they, they download movies too. Um, let's take this to the state level because from a political standpoint, it's important to note what we call the farm vote is not the same as the rural vote. Rural Wisconsin has tons of small cities fewer than 10,000 people in each one. And in those cities, they understand the importance of good schools, good infrastructure. And while they value their farm neighbors, they also want their water to stay clean. But unfortunately, for many years, Democratic parties, state and national, have all but ignored what I think are needles in the haystack. So in your view, Darren, what's the message that they should be sharing about what they offer versus the usual Republican emphasis which often comes down to, you know, divisive culture war issues and, and other, other ways to, you know, kind of gin up fear or concern versus a, you know, a literally meat and potatoes issues. Well, I certainly think looking at the, you know, last couple of years of Governor Evers' uh, term in office, uh, you know, the pandemic has thrown a lot of wrenches in everything, but we've actually got some things done here in the state for agriculture. For, for instance, the dollars that are going to broadband now are, are three to four times more than what they ever were under the Walker administration. Uh, the current uh, meat uh, processing dollars is something that the governor and the department worked for very hard to get in. And, and that's also been passed and is out there now. So, you know, we've got a, a Republican party in the state of Wisconsin that continues to go to Madison and do very little or nothing at all. Um, they're supposed to be employed full-time as our elected officials, yet how much time have they actually spent in Madison um, doing the work of the people this year again? Uh, three times, was it three or four times in 2020, they actually went to Madison for 10 seconds, gaveled in, gaveled out, didn't do anything at all. Um, as a farmer and, and most farmers across the state, we're workers and we really wanna see our elected officials be workers too and get the job done, um, not sit and bicker about little things and never get anything done. Uh, you know, we need to continue to move the economy forward. And I think with some of the ambitions of, of the folks within the Democratic Party, uh, we, we as rural res residents need to start looking at the difference between the parties, a party that wants to work or a party that wants to just do nothing. 
Absolutely. And, you know, uh, Dwight Eisenhower is one of the last really solid Republicans uh, that it seems we have in this country as a leader. Uh, and forgive me if I, I'm misremembering this, but uh, if I recall correctly, he actually commissioned a study and found that a good road brings so much benefit. So a good road within a mile of a farm makes all the difference in the world to that farmer and their ability to be economically prosperous. You know, what, what do you say to our listeners um, or to anyone who, you know, continues to vote for a party that just isn't interested in putting in the work? And, you know, a side note on what you were saying, my representative spends his time partying and doing business in Florida. So I hear you. I'm like, why are we paying you for a full-time job that you're just not interested in doing? Move aside for someone who wants to get to work. But how do we get that message across? Um, you know, here you are as a hardworking farmer and, you know, the Democrats are still getting misbranded, you know, left and right. Yeah, you know, it all boils down to news sources. Uh, you know, it's it's very frustrating with talking with fellow farmers that have one news source. And, and it really goes on both sides there, too. It would be nice if everybody would listen to three or four news sources like we used to. But now it's become concentrated. That word concentration again, uh, you know, we need to look at multiple sources and Certainly getting dollars back in rural communities is uh, something that, uh, you know, the Democratic Party and, and this goes all the way up to the Biden administration looking at the infrastructure bill that they were able to work with both the House and the Senate on and get passed. And, and those dollars are out there now. Um, our local township is receiving $859,000 plus um, through one of those uh, ARPA grants uh, to redo a couple miles of a road that's uh, heavily traveled in the springtime. We've got an Amish community here that has greenhouses and many different uh, cottage industry type businesses on that road. And it's been in gravel for the last three years. Uh, so it's mm -hmm. gonna be nice to finally get that built up. But looking at, you know, the infrastructure, uh, you know, we, you guys are dealing with the whole uh, broadband issue tonight again. Uh, we have board members from up there that can't uh, get on Zoom links. They have to participate by phone uh, because they don't have good broadband access. Uh, this is something that should have been corrected seven, eight years ago already, oh, not getting at it today. Without a doubt. Uh, Darren Von Ruden from the Wisconsin Farmers Union. Thanks so much for the visit. We appreciate uh, hearing from you on all the issues tonight. Thanks, Pat. All right. We will be back to wrap up the show right after this. She likes the way it's pulling while we're tilling up the land. She's even kind of crazy about my farmer's tan. She's the only one who really understands what gets me. She thinks my tractor's sexy. Welcome back. As we do each week, we want to thank our host, Devil Radio 927 in the Madison area and in the Waukesha, Milwaukee area, WAUK 540 AM and The Shaw 101.1 FM. You can use their Devil Radio app to listen to our show on demand anytime. And you can find the video version on the Facebook page of the Minocqua Brewing Company. And, 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 we might have really big news to share about this further. This segment might get longer, all the people that we thank. So stand by for that. You can find my daily work over at upnorthnewswi.com or search upnorthnewswi on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can also catch our new Up North News daily updates on these radio stations, 7.30 weekday mornings, 5.30 in the evenings. And as we've found out over the past few weeks here, 7.30 in the evenings as well, because, you know, if you're listening to us live, you can't get enough Pat Crightwell, apparently. You get it during the commercial <laughs> breaks, too. Although, Kirk, we hear you on the commercial breaks, too. 
let's we have to get Sarah to start doing promos. We, we it can't just be a sausage party here. We, we have to change. This. All right. So enough about enough about promos. Let's talk about f- farms because because I grew up uh, in Stevens Point. And uh, there were cornfields everywhere around within a, within a ten mile radius, and we had just been talking. It's been getting me all jazzed up to remember my my days growing up. So I want everybody to tell their story about their favorite farm moment. And I had I've had many, but and m- many are G rated, and I told Pat many are R rated, and I will not do the R rated. I'll do a PG rated version. But I th- I think my first time that I thought I was in love, but really it was puppy love was uh was kissing a girl in a cornfield in high school right close to Rochelle, like between stevens point and a big i just put plowed my car right in the cornfield because because you could do that and i was a stupid kid so i apologize to whatever whatever farmer had to clean up that mess but uh that was that was my favorite time in a in a in a in a and on a farm or you, on a you cornfield. seriously had to ruin somebody's crops to create your own parking spot i know i was nurse nar- i'm still narcissistic to a certain degree it's- but when i was in high school it was it was strong it was strong <laughs> oh god sarah how about you so okay my three turning four-year-old was once a, tr- a two turning three-year-old we were on our friend's farm and it was around the season when the cow manure gets really wet so we round the corner and all of a sudden I hear a, ah, a panic cry of help. And there he is knee deep in cow manure that has sort of a quicksand effect. And so I'm like, huh, all right. So I pull the kid out and one boot is stuck. And from that point on, every time we go to a farm, whether it's our friend's farm or a different farm, he asks me if his boot's going to get stuck in the mud again, um, because he's got this memory ingrained of being stuck in the mud. And it was probably one of the funniest things I've ever seen. It's a funny <laughs> kid's always going to have a weird definition of mud, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, well, for the, for this particular city kid, uh, who wasn't entirely a city kid, because my my dad's uh, second marriage was to a, a dairy farm girl from Gilmanton in Buffalo County near Mondovi, and then as it turns out, um, I started to date and eventually married and and have stuck with uh, for, she has stuck with me for thirty five plus years uh, a farmer's daughter from Manitowoc County, and our you know we we met in college at UW Eau Claire. We, uh, you know, decided it was time to go visit each other's uh, family, and you know, mine was relatively uh, drama-free because, you know, what, what what's a kid in the suburbs, you know, going to do? Then it came time for me to go visit her uh, family out on the farm uh, in Manitowoc County, and uh, we we arrived during evening milking, and at, at that point, uh, she said, "Well, you may as well come right in right into the barn." So, so we did. And now uh, they milk seventy two cows, and she did, you know, twice a day before getting on the school bus and after getting off it. Um, and so she walks me in there, and this is my first time meeting her dad, uh, who's been a dairy farmer. You know, he's he's like a fourth, fifth generation dairy farmer himself. And I th- I thought he welcomed me right into the family so nicely. He's like, "Would you like to help out?" Sure, sure. Whatever I guess, whatever you need. You're just putting on a milking machine. He's like, okay. He hands me the the the, the dip, and he goes, go take care of uh, number thirty six. So I head over to stall number thirty six, and as I'm bending down, I see why he has started laughing his face off because <laughs> that was nothing in stall thirty six that you could milk. 
uh, it, <laughs> at least and get away with it. So thankfully, <laughs> that laugh stopped me from going any further. Uh, we should go on that note. Thank you, Kurt. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you, Darren Von Rudin and Kelly Westland. Thanks for joining us at the cabin. Come on back up north next week with no bull milking required. Oh,